Welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got Jack Butcher here. What's going on, mate? Afternoon, boys. How's it going? Good going. We've got Trung Fan here. Trung, what's happening, mate? Yo, what's good, man? Uh, we got a new reply guy, Jack Dorsey. We saw that come Jack through. Jack Dorsey reply guy. I know y'all <laughs> saw that. So uh, You I saw that sitting... in the Telegram, on the yeah, Telegram, exactly, our right? Telegram group. Yeah, exactly. If you're in the Telegram, I would have explained to you the reply guy story. But... um. Obviously, Square acquired uh, uh, Afterpay, the BN, a buy now, pay later start uh, company, the Australian one for like 29 bill. We'll be talking about that later. But uh, I always have these content pieces hanging around and I need a reason to post it. And I'd posted this previously, but just uh, looking at Jack Dorsey, like last April, he put a billion dollars of his Square equity into a COVID relief fund. It's COVID healthcare and education. The main focus at the time obviously was COVID last April, but he put a billion dollars, a third of his net worth basically, he still got roasted by social media. Which yeah, is- so he just put it on a Google doc or something, right? And just shared it. It's like, it's probably run by two people and it's just in a Google sheet. It's all publicly available. Incredible. It just you what he invests in. And uh, I know you worked at Charity Water and you're familiar with uh, a lot of... Um, I mean, you know, the big thing about charities is overhead, right? That's always a criticism. There's zero yeah. overhead if you're running this thing from a Google sheet, right? Everything's transparent and visible. But uh, anyways, because since it's Square stock, uh, the fund started off at $1 billion, this relief fund. It's at $4 billion now. It's unbelievable, man. The guy gave away $4 billion. And, it's, and you know when uh, a guy like Bezos will give $100 million, people are like, oh, that's 0.01% of his net worth. Yeah, I hate that. Well, <laughs> when people Jack do Dorsey that. just gave away a third of his net worth. And, and, and they were still stuff. finding ways to roast him. So mm. I put that, I go, you know, his relief fund put out a billion. It's up to $4 billion now. And then a guy even commented. And, then, you know, I ended up chatting with the dude. It wasn't negative. He's like, how come he's only distributed $400 million out of this $4 billion relief fund? Well, and then I'm just like, well, number one is that's 40% of the initial that's allocation, crazy, yeah. right? And then the second part is, uh, it's a dual mandate. It's not like it was only COVID. If it's only COVID and you're 15 months in and, it's, and you haven't run it down, you're like, okay, this is kind of weird, right? But you know, it's also for uh, a girl's health. It's all for education. But you know, there, there's no place or nuance on Twitter. So I wasn't able to include all that. But uh, the guy literally asked, he's like, is this some type of tax scheme? And then thank God, Dorsey rolled into the replies. Let him like, know. Hold on a second. Whipped it out me, on the table, son. <laughs> yeah, let me just pull Dorsey's reply, man. God, share the screen. Y'all are going to make Dorsey slide into, man, my DMs, dude? Come on. All right, so here we go. I, I love screen sharing. Actually, you know what? I, I used to think that when uh, we show stuff on the screen, it's bad for the listening experience, but I kind of enjoy it, man. It's like you're listening to the banter. It's like, oh, I got to pull up my screen. Anyways, I, I also just I always just love seeing uh, trying to the bottom part of your Chrome because you've always got seventeen screenshots that you're putting <laughs> into a thread or something. <laughs> yeah, dude, I roll deep on the screenshots. LVMH three peep. Are you doing all this <laughs> yeah, on a, a MacBook Air as well, Trung? Dude, well, I, I, I'll tell you. Remember, I busted my. I don't know if I remember. I busted my uh, my pro. Uh, um, <laughs> Here's uh, Jack's reply. So he just wrote, the hardest part has been finding orgs with a small staff, working to move faster now. Thank you. Question answered. There, that's why they only distributed 400 million, man. God. Dude. I mean, the thing is, and we, this is a problem. We could do a whole episode on this. And I think we talked about doing it. It's actually really hard to get, to distribute that amount well, of here, money. Bilal, you explain it. How hard would it be? You want to give away a billion dollars in COVID relief? Explain to the audience how hard it is. Well, I mean, I think COVID relief is one part, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but just from what I saw, 
there's like emergency relief, which is COVID relief would be in that bucket. So it's a short period of time. You're just trying to deploy money to where it can be used. But then there's all the other causes like water, education, you know, all the, there's hundreds of them. And so I can just speak for charity water. What we had the problem, we would keep growing the amount of money that we would raise, like from individuals, companies, et cetera. But to then deploy that money it's not like pressing a button and just saying hey just send it to ethiopia like you have to find it's like doing construction right. projects so imagine saying all right we've just 3x our revenue uh, if let's say we're a real estate fund and now i need to go and build three times more apartment blocks you can't just do it overnight you and then if you consider these are like war projects in the developing world most of the time and then you got to work with local government, go to rural areas. You got to vet the people. You got to make sure what you got to look at all the numbers. It's like really hard. It's a crazy. There was a whole team in New York, like 25 right. people. Their whole job was to go out there and meet all the people, make sure everything's legit. And it's hard to give away money. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's really hard for, for stuff like that. I think if it's just, you know, going on to uh, donors choose where people can just like support teachers yeah. and stuff like that, that's, that's a little bit easier because it's a marketplace. Basically, you can see how much money uh, people are requesting and you can just directly fund it but yeah i mean i mean jack dorsey's i mean i was so surprised by well actually i wasn't surprised people complained but the fact that he was given that much money and people were still finding excuses to like put him down about it it's was unreal man it's you're never gonna unreal. please people um let me share one more i'll share his first reply guy because you know i got that on tap you know i keep just a google slide doc of all these sick replies <laughs> So when uh, Facebook uh, uh, trialed their audio product, uh, this is like um, uh, two months ago or six weeks ago. Yeah. So the news comes out and uh, I just did a screenshot of the uh, the live audio room. Uh, and you know, obviously Twitter Spaces is a, is a competing product to Clubhouse and Facebook Live Audio. <laughs> so I just go, hey guys, I listen in on the room. Here's the audio from the room. It's amazing what Zuck is talking about. And I literally just cut in the clip from remember that barbecue clip (laughs) oh man this guy (laughs) um you remember the smoking meat yeah yeah that was the most incredible video freaking jack dorsey liked this tweet which is just hysterical to me oh sick yeah dude it's funny because i'm making fun of his direct competitor's product and he likes it i I love it when that shit happens man um (laughs) But All yeah. right, boys, so just somewhere. to give people yeah, a heads right. up what we're going to talk about today, yeah? So yeah. Um, we've got the Square Affirm stuff we're going to touch on, the buy now, pay later space. Uh, we're going to do a deep dive on Virgil. Uh, Abloh's head of LVMH or a part of LVMH anyway. Um, and yeah, we've got a couple other things like a preview potentially from Jack as well and edge of the internet stuff, stuff that he's been finding uh, on the internet, a new NFT project. But the first thing we're going to do is uh, have a little rant about Ivy League. So, yeah. <laughs> Trunk, you want to, let's just play the clip. Let's just play the okay. clip. So, again, to our listeners, I apologize. Uh, this is going to be a clip-heavy thing because uh, there's a really viral video on Twitter yesterday, and I, I was sent it. It's from the 2016 Olympics. It's, uh, it's uh, the semifinals men's hurdle race. And there's a, a Haitian runner. Uh, let me get his name here. Uh, a Haitian runner. Uh, his name is, uh, Jeffrey Jolmes. So Jeffrey Jolmes at the 2016 Rio Olympics. And this went insanely viral yesterday. So somebody pulled the clip and I was sent it. And I have to tell you, this clip 
I can't remember the last time I laughed so hard. I, I was <laughs> I was literally in tears. You know what? Like I I'll always write. Oh, I'm in tears. Like on Twitter, I'm never in tears when I write. I'm in tears, right? L M A O. You're yeah. actually oh this time. God. You're actually. <laughs> I'm so it's so funny. I'm in tears. I was literally in tears. My wife came into like was brushing her teeth, comes out of the bedroom, and like I'm like keeled over. She's like, "What is going on?" I'm like. I, I can't even, I couldn't even talk. I was out of breath and how funny this is. So let me describe this video. 2016 men's hurdle semifinal Rio. And Justin Jolmis, listen, the guy's clearly one of the best, 10 best hurdlers in the world to make it to the semifinals, right? But dude, so the camera before the semifinal race pans to him. And this dude starts flexing. Yeah. He starts pointing at his you wrist. You bolt style, just yeah, like, like what time is it? He points at the sky. This is all pre-race. And then puts up a big number one. I mean, I'm going to play it if you're watching on YouTube. I know we get like 500, 500, 500 or 1,000 people watching. Here, here's a video. Oh. So this guy's flexing. He just pointed at the sky. He's just full uh, through the... <laughs> his, his face. So, his face is looking so calm on the point. <laughs> He's playing he it at the screen. The number one. He just threw the number. Yo. So, <laughs> dude, so this oh guy is God, so confident. Is... And here we go. He's number nine on the edge here. He's about to come out the block. He's coming out the block. Oh. <laughs> Yo. So if you're watching, I mean, if you're listening, this dude comes out the block. And you can even tell he's not gonna make it, bro. He's nowhere near. Yo. He's nowhere near jumping over Yo, that. He just goes straight into it, dude. <laughs> you like, feel so what? bad laughing, but like, there's a natural Yo, thing. Like, I mean, you're I gonna feel laugh. Awful like. laughing, right? This guy's worked his entire life for this moment, but he was flexing so hard. He was flexing so hard, dude. And uh, anyways, there's a uh, just to be totally fair. Okay. The clip got removed, but he f- ends up finishing the hurdles. He gets up, dusts himself off, and finishes the hurdles. Cool like, running style. Yeah. Just finish but, off the jump. Nothing but pure respect for this guy, right? Like, I, was, I felt bad laughing. But then after reading his comments, so the, the Associated Press asked him afterwards. And he just goes, listen, go. why did you finish a race? He goes, it didn't make sense to go down as a sore loser. The Olympic spirit is to finish the race. It felt good the crowd cheering me on. So, you know what? Happy story. You know, we had a good laugh at his expense. I mean, he's a meme, right? Four years later, the guy's still a meme. Five years later, actually. And uh, it just, it is one of the funniest videos I've ever seen in my life. Tron, what was the, do you want to read the caption now for people listening that you, uh, yeah, the caption I put is, uh, <laughs> when, when you hire an Ivy League grad, but they actually suck at the job. So, the reason why it's the first thing that came to my mind. I, actually, hold hold on a second here. I gotta thanks, LT. Can you thanks, buddy? Okay, close the door for daddy. Thank you. <laughs> on, uh, we got a guest today. You yeah, we got through, a guest. Man. But uh, the reason why I'm first of all, I'm like I have to tweet and try to do something funny about this. I mean, it's not the best one I've ever done, but it had made me laugh so hard that I felt I owed it to the universe to try to find something. And the reason why I put when you hire an Ivy League grad, but they actually suck at the job is, well, first of all, we can all opine on this, but my previous job, I interviewed a lot of Ivy League grads because my startup's headquarters was in Harvard Square, literally in Harvard Square. And one of the pitches that ended up getting the company sold to S&P Global, the, the data company, was basically 
we are geographically a place where MIT and Harvard students, just because they want to stay in the area in Cambridge, will come work for, right? And like, if you're S&P Global, you will have a very difficult time hiring these type of people because when they're graduating, Facebook, Google, Netflix, Amazon are throwing them job offers, right? They're not going to go work for S&P Global. So your only real way to tap this talent is just be geographically there. It's a very smart pitch, actually. Um, so I, I, I was there. I was like one of the, the more veteran guys there and just ended up interviewing Ivy League people nonstop, internships, like for different roles. And listen, man, I'll be honest with you. I didn't go to Ivy League school. Although McGill University in Montreal likes to call itself the Ivy League of Canada or the Harvard of Canada, which literally means nothing. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so I've interviewed a lot of Ivy League people. I'm sure you guys have too. I, I'm sure Bilal has at Google. And listen, on paper, you're just like, you get pumped, right? You see a guy that went to Princeton, Brown, um, where else? Columbia, Yale. You're like, oh man, this guy's going to be good, right? Like, let's be honest, the signaling works. If I see some guy went to Harvard, I got a pretty high He's going to open the door at least. Yeah. So like, I mean, like no matter how you feel, but I love everybody saying like, oh, it's just like, a, it's just, you know, it's just a brand. It's like, man, it's powerful, dude. You see that and you mean yeah, brand's think, important, man. <laughs> but bro, the, I've worked with, I'm not going to say, I don't know a number. I'll call it dozen plus people with this background. And like, they come into the actual role. They suck. They're just not good. Mm. Whether it's they're overconfident, they don't want to do the small stuff, or legit, they just suck. Uh, they're just not good at the job. Maybe it's not meant for them. I just find it hilarious, though, because when you see the Ivy League stuff, it's like the Haitian runner was flexing, right? He's touching his hand on the watch. He's got the mean grill. He's turning up number one. That's what happens when you see like these Ivies on the resume and they don't deliver. So I, just, I was laughing, man, because that happens to me a lot. Get that job in the bin at Google, mate. Just go and approve ads for, for 12 months. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you've definitely got a, you, you probably hired somebody from Ivy that uh, yeah 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 um, even a charity war too I mean to be fair they've obviously smart people right like there's yeah. level of intelligence but the way I always saw it is you need to be smart enough but then there's so many other things you need to totally. be like have the right attitude and especially on early in your career a lot of the, the skill set is not about being a genius it's about like learning totally, and like right? being kind of ego free and stuff like that so yeah, man. I mean, it just depends. You know what I mean? Well, what about I think you, you nailed that. I think those two yeah. points you nailed the perfect. It's like when you're starting, your job isn't to be freaking the genius and to come in with the big U. Your job is to eat shit, right? Like that's your job. It's just how it is. I mean, well, if you're really smart, you just avoid the entire thing and you're Zuckerberg. You just found a company and yeah, you found Facebook, right? There's the other side of it. Obviously, super capable, super smart. And to be fair, I was probably like one of those people when I was 21 in terms of being like cocky. Okay, coming okay. in like I'm the shit too so I'm just being objective about it. like yeah I, I probably have pissed some people off too when I was a kid <laughs> but yeah if, I think it's just it's hard man because you come in with an expectation I was uh, I was 21 going to Google I went to a pretty good school I'd done a business before so I came in like all right what well, let me come and like run this shit you know what I mean and well, then you, you go there and you're like oh, okay yourself. I'm gonna... you're an extremely successful entrepreneur nah, yeah yeah with my uh <laughs> eBay, my bling bling king eBay store. But yeah, no, it was, uh, so I, I completely get it, man. I mean, you just, you learn with age. Do you know what I mean? Um, anyway, that was fucking hilarious, man. That gave me a good chuckle when I saw that as well. Oh, dude, I was crying, bro. All right, so boy, should we, let's kick it off, yeah? Because Jack, you've been sharing this in the Telegram group chat. I haven't really dug into it much. 
Um, but let's just do your part first because I, I thought this was quite interesting. The site looks really cool. Do you want to share your screen? Uh, this is it. the edge of the internet segment we got. Yeah, okay, you, cool. you guys know who Tom Sachs is? I do not. Of his stuff I don't, to be fair. I, I found out about him through, I think he has a like, long-standing partnership with Nike on uh, the craft, Nike craft. Have you heard of that brand before? It's like they make limited run stuff. They collaborate with a bunch of artists. So he's done, um, like if you go on Grailed or something like that, you know, the, the streetwear reseller. They got a bunch of like Tom Sachs, Nike stuff. And um, he's been like a contemporary artist for a long time. And I'm just interested in seeing, I think Damien Hurst did an NFT project a couple of weeks ago. And Tom Sachs is kind of in that first batch of artists that have been, like, made a name for themselves in the contemporary art world that are now playing with the NFT mechanic. So Damien Hurst did, um, I think, 10,000 editions. And the sort of the mechanic of that drop was you either keep the NFT or keep the print. You decide uh, once they're all sold out, you make a decision on which uh, piece you want to keep. So you can essentially trade in the NFT and they mail you the print or you keep the NFT and they burn, they f will burn the copy of the art that they're holding on to so the outcome becomes like you know eight thousand people wanted to keep the nft over the physical thing it's like this statement on like what people value about art so this tom Sachs thing is taking another one of the nft mechanics which is this idea of like randomization and the minting of pieces so uh for context the, the project's called rocket factory and what he's done is basically, I think there are 3,000 individual components. So the, if, you, if you can see the screen, you'll see it here. But if you can, they're um, like rockets that are divided into three different sections vertically. So there's a nose, a body, and a tail. And what they do, or what they did when they launched a project, you would mint, uh, I think they only let you mint three tokens. You'd get a nose a body and a tail, all different, um, all different configurations. So I think they have, uh, what is this? Five, two, three. So they have 30 different rockets and some match and some are like mismatched, right? And he's done this thing with brands where they've got, I don't know how he's, maybe he's going to get in trouble for this, like DMCA type stuff, but he's using a bunch of like logos. Of, yeah, see, like, Marlboro, Ferrari, I just uh, assumed he was working with him or something because if I he's know, using man, it, I, I've worked with Ferrari and I'm pretty sure they would be <laughs> they would like this. <laughs> <laughs> They're like a rocket, yeah. NFT, no way. Yeah, so so I mean, but that's an interesting thing, right? Fair use are like if you go back to Andy Warhol, the Campbell's soup thing. Yeah, I think for the most part, like he's a top tier artist. So I'll be curious, like if there's any blowback like i think if somebody less well known would have attempted something like this you can imagine like legal notices just coming flying at you but it's an interesting uh this is a whole new area for like the law to expand into because this is all on chain right like you can't it's done you can't take back a lot of this stuff like the token yeah. 
either references something that is on a decentralized database. So like it really changes the nature of copyright um, litigation and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, that said, you get these three pieces and you put them together and the way they're making the project happen is they're going to physically assemble these rockets and oh launch them. Oh my God. Oh, that's sick. Yo, oh, I didn't realize that. Jack, okay, so it's a physical the piece. Lead, man. Yeah. I thought this was like... <laughs> This was like all the uh, Jack last week's like, hey, here's Janky Heist and here's Board yeah. Like, oh, cool, man. More like visual, like graphics. I'm never. They're building the fucking rocket, bro. You're yeah. very so, sweet. So they yeah. make they make the physical rocket and then they send it to you. So based on yeah, based on what you've collected, so what's in your wallet. I'm assuming at a certain date, what they're gonna do is say, okay, we're gonna take a snapshot of what's in everybody's wallets. We're gonna assemble the rockets. We're going to launch them. They're actually doing launch events. So everybody that owns them is going to be going to events in US, Europe, wherever else. Assumed, assuming Tom Sachs is there and his team. And they, they're like, I guess they have some little firework component or something in the back of them. They're going to, they're going to launch them and then they're going to recover them, oh, stick them in glass cases, and then they're going to send them to the collector. Oh, that I, is sick. Hold on a second. Jack, can you roll up a second for, the, for our listeners? Could you roll one more? Okay, yeah. Can you just talk people through how it works here? Tell them what you see on the far left and then work your way across. Sure. So the, the, on the far left, this is the assembly of the three NFTs that were generated on the drop. So on the, on the left, we're looking at this McDonald's nose cone. It's kind of this, like rough outline, hand-drawn thing. NASA, middle section of this rocket, and then a Tiffany & Co. bottom. And then there's an image next to That's that. That's the which, dream team there, bro. Look there at that. <laughs> Tiffany, NASA, and McDonald's. Come is on. Is this being done with NASA? Uh, he has a relationship with NASA I think NASA it is because well, if you I look believe. at that YouTube video, that's the La NASA logo. You want to click I think on that? It, I think it's uh, – I think it I, – I can't comment. I don't know. But I think this is like a artistic – using some artistic liberty here. There may be a relationship there, but who knows? Okay. So the second image is like that, you know, that hand-drawn rocket translated into this physical thing. So um, it looks about, it looks like it's probably about three feet tall based on yeah, the Yeah, it's got some like propulsion device in the bottom of it. And then on the right-hand side, they've done a, a video which explains the whole process, which Unbelievable. is pretty cool. Unbelievable. Um, really cool idea. So, so just to clarify, is, is there going to be... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So wait, uh, you'll get a physical piece and a digital, and this also digital, or you yeah, pick? yeah. So you so you got the you have the NFT in your wallet, and that some of this stuff, I like a lot of these things are like launch and sort of figure it out as you go. So they've made yeah. way more promises than most projects, and there's a big name behind it, obviously. So uh, what they've announced today is that you know you could have perfect rocket which is essentially all the matching pieces right this one on the left here is the um three matching brands nose body and tail and then the franken rocket is like three random brands like read how together. they describe it read how they describe it a disparate clusterfuck of branding composed of unmatching component <laughs> nfts so so obviously this creates a market on the back end as well so when they did the drop a lot of people were going to the secondary market to complete their rocket and get the three matching bits. Like, like the other janky heist thing Discord, we talked about exactly. last time. Which is a cool idea. And then um, obviously the, the, uh, 
the layer of the actual contemporary artist that has a track record and the f- events and things of that nature. And there's only, I think, 3,000 components. So there's only three, th- there's only going to be a thousand rockets. So it's Can pretty limited supply. Marketplace? How much, like, what is one of these going for right now? So, oh my so this, goodness. Oh my God. So the Hermes body here is 15 Ethereum, which, what, right now that's probably. 40 30 grand. grand plus 35 40 yeah and mcdonald's 25 so so they're obviously dis- different rarities and um some brands are more common than others uh bu- 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 filter by but you buy all of this stuff and then you know oh there's lisa there's lisa Sim- i actually interviewed the voice behind lisa simpson that'd be pretty nice cool to talk about, actually. Yeah, she's a that's beast. hilarious so this has moved like what probably 10x from the mint price and then 3x from the resale price. So there's like a reason. Are they active. are they all minted already then? Because normally yeah, they're, there's they're a mint in an hour. Yeah. Oh damn! This is a really cool example because he's like a legit artist, like you said, in traditional world, and this is a cool execution of like both digital so and physical. This is kind of the third major project that Jack's brought up. I- I'd love to hear Jackie talk through Board Ape janky heist and this and the differences you're seeing and like because it seems like everyone is adding a you know a new twist that this one is just like when you did the physical part i'm like oh that's so smart man that's so smart so like how are you viewing these kind of three projects yeah they're ver- like the board ape one i think is like pure internet community like you can see it in real time like people in the discord it's almost just like an abstract financial instrument you know it's like that doesn't like we talked about the decentralized Disney and things of that nature over time. Janky Heist feels like um, they have a brand, they've raised money, and they've got some creative firepower already. So I don't think it's going to be as community-driven right. on the media side, but there's some, you know, it's like a real outside bet that they're going to be able to build this like virtual world around their characters that already have some like cultural relevance. And then this last one is just, I think, outside of that completely. It's a, um, it's a, yeah, like a traditional artist coming into the space. And you can imagine in 10 years, the first artist to have like successfully or among someone among the first like legit artists to have used this medium to make something interesting. And that like the aesthetic of it and just resonates with me as well, this last one. Let's do some real quick napkin math. So the Hermes one was the biggest one. That's a 15 ETH or a little bit well, more. That's one part of it. That's yeah. one piece of it. One so. single piece. So you, there's a 3,000 pieces, right? Mm. 4,000. So if you do, just call it 5 ETH average price. Uh, what's 5 ETH? About 10, just call it 10 Gs. What's 10 Gs times 3,000? Whatever that is, that's how much it looks like this thing's going to bring in. When they issue the project, they make the money on the minting, but then yeah. resellers capture the arbitrage on the secondary okay, market and enough. there'll be like a two and a half percent kickback or something to, um, let me just share my screen one, one second quickly. Well, here, so like if just a napkin math I did worked out to 30 million. So if you just assume every piece goes for five ETH, uh, but they've already made money on the minting. So they'll make money on the transaction fees. I mean, this could reach top shop levels, like hundred millions in, trans- in, in, in kind of volume. And Jack, as you're just pulling that up, just one thing to share as well is it looks like because there was this huge hype of NFTs early in the year, there was then quite a drastic reduction, like 80, 90% um, of value or like something like that. And now I think we're really kind of picking up again quite significantly. If you look at the numbers for the top projects, it looks like the, they're just, there's been crazy growth in the last 
few months. Yeah, at least. it's like there's a huge, like crazy crypto. You're punch. back, bro. You're well, dude. Yeah. Top ten right here on Foundation. Jack's top ten on Foundation. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've done 3,000 Ethereum of volume on the secondary market, which is seven and a half million in like three days, I think. Oh my goodness. So Wait. then you'll see like when, I think you when you get closer to some of the milestones, like, hey, this is what we're going to do with the, the physical pieces. And this is the access it gets you. All of those things obviously translate to more action on the secondary market. Not investment advice. A hundred percent not Every investment time. advice. <laughs> I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, it's almost like an ornament for the office, right? That, that's really how I'm thinking about it. Man, I, it just, I, I find it hard to believe this will not be worth 10 to 20 times more in a couple of years than what it is now. Not and yet advice. I can't bring myself to spend <laughs> 20 grand. Even I have such a high level of confidence that this project, just listening to you talk about it because of the name behind it. We'll just be worth just multiples. Like you spent the, 20 grand on a rocket. It'll be worth 500 grand in three years. You know what else I think is interesting is majority. I would have, someone's probably done analysis on this, but the majority of people transacting in Ethereum have either make their money in Ethereum or they've been holding it for an incredibly long time. And uh, it's sort of skews that relationship to the, the, dollar denomination if that makes sense right 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 someone like you would have to take you know 20 grand out of their current account turn it into ethereum and then buy an nft with it which is a very different mental leap yeah yeah totally (laughs) like you right now jack can just like hey i got an ethereum slush fund here i'm gonna buy this yeah it's different it's definitely different and i think uh you know a lot there's like there's speculation and trading and blah 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 um, but it's like you're using your, you're sort of trading within your account as opposed to like making like a per, a clean purchase. So I think there's a little, that's another reason why the adoption is, is happening the way it is. It is such a big advantage just to be in, I mean, literally it, you, you nailed it, right? The mental hurdle to pull money out of your checking account to buy this versus if you're already, so that's why you got to kind of go through the pains of getting with into the system, right? Because yeah. I'm just missing out on all this shit. It's just because well, I that's can't why make that hurdle. Well, trying to slap when you were buying the ETH on the show, remember when you shared your yeah, screen yeah, and yeah. we were like, oh, wait a minute, make sure you can take it out. It was that's for that why. reason. Because like, once stuff keeps evolving, you're like, oh, now... Oh, I can stake this in liquid staking Lido or like something like that. And if you can't take it out, you don't even have access to try that out or the other hundred things going on. But anyway, I'm gonna dabble again. I'm not done, man. I'm I'm not done. Oh, I'm definitely, gonna give man. Yourself. Yeah, no investment advice. Uh, but yeah, sick. That, Jack, that's a cool project, man. Thanks for sharing that. So yeah, wait, well. just to clarify, you bought one of these or you bought some of these, right? Yeah, I got a uh, Chanel set, black and oh, white. Oh my value. god. Wait, the full set? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the whole rocket, yeah. How oh, many for God's did sake, you drop? that is legit. Uh, probably two or three. I'm calling on, it right man. now. That's that, pro- that thing you just bought will be worth 200 grand within two years. There's no question in my mind. That physical rocket in that thing <laughs> will be worth 200 grand. Trung is so hype right now. <laughs> Trung is getting I can't get my head around it. Listen, I'm the biggest hype man ever. I can't get my head around it. Um, no, the Chanel, you got a full set. You got that's the a, Chanel, son. That's, 
Most, That's clear. Well, so wait, to clarify, did you have something else and then you had to go and trade it with people or what? No, I bought on the secondaries. I missed the drop. Oh, I've been so you just bought it. the whole thing? Yeah, I've been watching and I was like, oh, I really want to buy this project. That like, was two weeks ago and I heard about it and I forgot to set a reminder of when the drop was. So I had to just, get, like, I saw it on Twitter. I was like, ah, oh, I missed well, it. So I, I think uh, by this the, is a perfect it. segue into the topic we want to talk about, Virgil Abloh. Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. Freaking super duper designer, artist. I mean, because uh, big news on him is he's going to start doing NFT projects. Uh, he's going to start doing virtual clothing. And uh, so let me just... So Trunk, yeah, who is, who is Virgil for people yeah, who don't so, know? Well, Virgil is the founder of Off-White, a streetwear brand. And he is the artistic director for menswear at LVMH, Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, the $400 billion luxury conglomerate, which we will be talking about in a subsequent episode because it's a CEO and a top dog, Bernard Arnault, is the richest person in the world now. Um, crazy, right? Still the richest. I know that they cra- He's got a crazy story too. Yeah, we need a real deep dive on that one. So, so Virgil Ibo, I'll just screen share. Actually. I just walked through the thread that I did uh, because Virgil's super fascinating. Uh, here's a screen share. Here's Virgil. And uh, I'll just flip through a couple of things super quickly. He's born in uh, Rockport, Illinois, uh, which is like two hours from Chicago or four hours, it looks like. Uh, his his parents were Ghanaian. How do you say that? Ghanaian, is it? Ghanaian immigrants. Ghan- uh, Ghanaian. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, apologies <laughs> to uh, Ghanaians there. Um, but uh, so kid of an immigrant, right? Uh, or immigrant, first generation, or I don't know, first, second generation. I don't know how people describe that shit. Um, but anyways, his classic immigrant story, I mean, Bilal and I have talked about this, is like, you're growing up. And what do your parents want you to do? You got to become a doctor, lawyer, engineer, right? Classic accountant. So he grew up with interests and he was like Bilal, actually. He loved hip hop and he was making custom tees in high school and selling them. Uh, Bilal was selling custom hats uh, for the Blink Scarface tees, bro. Scarface, Scarface number one. <laughs> so uh, Ablo's parents, um, his mom actually taught him how to sew, but his dad worked at a painting company. So very like classic well, hardworking immigrant family. They're like, you need to get a real career. So he went and enrolled in civil engineering at U Wisconsin Madison. But you know, it's like like again, the parallels to Bilal are incredible here. Loves hip hop, was DJing in high school. He's like, okay, I'm gonna go to the engineering school, but I don't want to be an engineer, right? I'm just gonna do it, to kind of make my parents happy. Like I get that story. He DJed at university through parties and uh uh, after his civil engineering degree, he got a master's in architecture. So this is what's crazy. He's More probably the most influential. Both? Yeah, like one of the handful of most influential fashion people in the world right now. His background is in civil engineering and architecture, right? It's amazing. But uh, Design, bro. It, exactly. I mean, Jack's going to have so many things to opine on. And I can't wait to hear his opinions on, on, on Virgil and, and, and his kind of design instinct and where he applies it all. But... It was at, uh, at his master's program at the Institute, uh, Illinois Institute of Technology, uh, that he found kind of his idol, a guy named Rem Coolhouse. An art, he's an architect who also worked with Prada, right? So built buildings, but also helped fashion giant Prada design bags. And then that's when Ablo realizes like, okay, like I can learn to be the skills of an architect, but I don't have to be an architect, right? And uh, he actually has three really, really good lectures online on YouTube right now uh, at Columbia University, 
the Rhode Island Institute of Design and at Harvard. And they're amazing. They're about an hour and a half each. So one of his main sticks is that he kind of gives away information because how he knew how he came up, he's like, nobody was telling me to be a designer. I found on my own. So I want anybody to learn from my playbook, right? I'm going to give away all the information. And uh, he has 6 million Instagram followers, always shows his works in progress. And uh, so his inspiration was this uh, architect, Rem Coolhouse, who taught him that you can do a lot of things with an architecture degree. And actually in one of the lectures, Virgil was explaining that looking back, his architecture and engineering background has actually given him so much confidence in anything he does because he grounds everything with this really hard training, right? He understands like dimensions and like how to test things, how to do theses and 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 hypothesize about how things can end up and how to combine different uh, disciplines, right? So he'll do stuff and he'll get so much pushback, but his confidence comes from the fact he's like, no, no, I'm grounded in something that's literally, it's physics, right? He's like, it's math and physics. Like, this is what I'm grounded in. I understand these things. And uh, that gives him confidence to try all these new things. And this is kind of how he blew up. But it's so interesting. So combine this architect engineering background with this interest in hip hop and DJing life and all this stuff. And man, it's just like the luck of the Magic dog. moment, Dude, man. I, yeah, the magic moment. It's amazing. I love these things. It's like, so he graduates around 2005 and he's from Illinois, you know, born in Rockport. It's close to the city called Chicago. And there's an artist from Chicago at that time that we might have heard of. His name's Kanye West. And wait, and Trunk, do you remember what his nickname was back then or when he was first coming out? No, you can't. Well, Louis Vuitton Don, well, yeah, which Louis is Vuitton amazing. Don, that's right. Because now Virgil is. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's all coming right? full circle. Well, dude, I mean, we have so much to talk about here. I love that you brought that up because a lot of people ask now is like, because Kanye is so much into fashion, right? He's got his billion dollar brand with Adidas, Yeezy. He has a deal with Gap. But like you said, his name, nickname is Louis Vuitton Don. Louis Vuitton was always what he was looking up to. And now he's like number one guy. I'm like, I'll explain uh, shortly, but Abel spent a decade with Kanye. He was basically his artistic whisperer. And the way they described it was, it was album covers, music, uh, like stage design. Ablo would just be cruising around with Kanye as Kanye started his music career, his singing career, because Kanye started off as a producer for for like Jay-Z, right? And uh, he would just be on his laptop, 24, like literally 20 hours a day, designing things on his laptop for Kanye. And uh, so crazy. The reason he met up with Kanye is Kanye was starting his uh, a solo career away from a producer who wanted to be the personality and artist himself. And he wanted to surround himself with creatives. Very, I mean, Jack touched on it before, you know, we talked about, uh, uh, what was the guy that did the, uh, the, uh, the Campbell's? Andy Super Warhol. Ken? Yeah, Andy Warhol. He's famous for having this uh, uh, entourage of creatives, right? So Kanye did the same thing, created an entourage and, uh, Actually, Trunk, just to add while we're talking about it on, yeah. on that, like for people's, like to take people back to this time, this is the time where people would often say the phrase we now use is shut up and dribble. Like, right, you're, right. you're, you're a basketball hey, player. Like, don't talk about this. Don't do this. Don't be a brand. Like, just do what you're good at and like get on with, get on with it. And, you know, we can talk about Kanye as it relates to this as well, but he was a clearly a creative dude from forever exactly from fashion to music producing rapping everything like even his home if you architecture will. yeah architecture it's crazy and and just what i love is 
15, 20 years later or whatever, however long this is, 10 years, like as much as he's kind of a hateable person to a lot of people and I understand that, uh, Kanye in particular, like he was one of the few people in this in the hip hop world that was saying like own the brand be the brand i don't want to just hold up a shoe for you i want to be the shoe designer and i'm going to put in the work to actually go and learn how to do this properly understand materials and and so anyway you'll probably get onto that but i think it's worth calling out no 100 i think uh totally and that's what that's what makes virgil interesting right he's multi-discipline music engineering architecture fashion like he combines it all right understands culture like crazy and uh these guys are, you know, going through this movement. And in 2009, there's a very famous photo. It's right here for the non-listeners. I meant for the listeners uh, that can't see this photo. It's at Paris Fashion Week. And this photo went viral. It's Kanye carrying a Goyard suitcase, wearing just an absurd jacket. And there's a whole crew. There's a crew of Kanye and his boys. And the Virgil's in the far right here. I mean, I don't even know what he's wearing here. Gray pants, a blue vest, like red rim glasses. They got roasted, right? Because Kanye's like, I want to be a fashion designer. It's funny, 2009. Look look at him now. He's Incredible. a billionaire because of Yeezy, This picture right? is Unreal, so man. good, man. I, I don't think he would have gone anywhere near as viral without the, the geezer in the green, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's just on the show. You know who that is? That's uh, Farnsworth Bentley. He's in all the Diddy videos. Really? Oh, no wow. way. Yeah. Is that him? I, yeah, I remember him, yeah. I almost interviewed him for Cray Lab. It's so <laughs> oh, right. Oh, my goodness. Dude, you got to pull him up now. <laughs> That'd be so well, good. So, uh, oh, God. Uh, just an idea of like, so he spent 10 years. Well, what's crazy is these guys are like, from that picture, they're like, we're going to get into fashion. Everyone's laughing at them, right? It's like, it's like to your point about shut up and dribble. I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. There's a lot of racism involved here. It's like, who in the 80s and 90s were at the forefront of fashion, right? It's obviously going to be a lot of white people. That's just, it's from Europe. Especially Europe. luxury, luxury yeah. high-end. European is- lux houses or yeah. white people. Well, this is what yeah. makes Virgil so amazing, right? He's like, he's an artistic director for menswear at Louis Vuitton. And and actually Louis Vuitton, buried the lead, they bought 60% of his streetwear company Off-White like two weeks ago. So now he's one of the most important people at that company. The most important luxury company in the world. He's one of the most important people there. So crazy how that turned, but the point is that at the time people laughing at them. So what do these guys do? They're like, you know, we don't care. We'll start from the bottom if that's what we need to do to prove it. They go and intern at Fendi, an LVMH luxury brand, literally intern. And not like one of these things like, oh, these guys intern. I'm sure they had a cush. They're bringing coffees to the work. They're photocopying docs. They're working nine to five, making, I mean, not that they needed the money, but they took like the, whatever the intern salary was, $500 a month. And this is why, just to clarify, Kanye yeah. West and these guys, they're already established. What? Oh, he's an established he, musician. He's doing he, my beautiful he, Dr. Right? Yeah. fantasy. He's recording. Incredible arguably the greatest album of the 2010s at this time. And uh, so my beautiful dark twisted fantasy as Bilal touched on amazing album, uh, Runaway, the 35 minute video, actually Virgil designed that uh, video. Oh, and, I didn't know uh, that. Yeah. Amazing. Right. So I'll, I'll bring something back now that's relevant because Kanye's new album that we're all waiting on is called Donda. Uh, so he actually started a group after doing this Fendi fashion design uh, that uh, it was called Donda. It was like this, he finally formalized the name of this creative group and they're going to do everything, fashion, architecture, building, like culture in general, right? Like large installments. Um, but uh, that that group didn't last very long. 
but this huge legacy, like Virgil Abel is part of that group and he's whatever, everything I said now, but LVMH off-white, his streetwear brand. And I think there's two or three more superstars from that group that ended up at Nike and Adidas, like top designers. So uh, I'll keep going through his story, but uh, I'm not going to belabor his story very much more because I want to get in some lessons that he said in these uh, lectures that I mentioned. But uh, his first brand, his first Virgil's first personal brand was called Pyrex Vision. And there's nothing crazy. It was his first fashion brand. And uh, it's actually interesting uh, for the listeners here. Uh, it's a, a plaid dress shirt. And on the back, it says Pyrex. And it says number 23. And so what's that referencing is, uh, do you guys remember the Biggie lyric? He's not referencing Biggie, but it's a very well-known sentiment in the hood. Is like, you either have a wicked jump shot or you slang crack rock. I think it's said in the wrong order. But basically, if you're going to get out of the hood in a lot of these very difficult uh, areas in America, is like, you either have to be really good at hoops or you're doing the cocaine, right? Or like, you're Jordan's number, yeah. Yeah. So mm. Pyrex refers to literally the cooking mechanism to make crack, uh, which is when you combine basically. Coke. I've never had someone describe it like the cooking mechanism. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Bro, just yeah. like baking soda, some other ingredients. And uh, so uh, if, if people don't know. Not investment like, advice, sorry. Yeah, not investment to say. advice. <laughs> so the crack academic in the 80s, the reason why crack blew up especially in the, especially in urban areas in the ghettos was a uh, crack is just a really fast mechanism to put cocaine into your body. And, uh, and the way that people cooked it is you could basically stretch a bag of cocaine further. Like, you know, if you see from the movies, people do cocaine, they're snorting it uh, and it's pure, but like, if you want to stretch that baggie of cocaine and if you're a dealer, like you combine it with baking soda and you sell these smaller units. Right. And, um, uh, not investment advice, not personal advice. Either. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely not. Stay off the crack, folks. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> his second brand was uh, Off-White. So he, he learned a bit from his first fashion brand, didn't really take off, but he got in with uh, this really influential fashion group from Europe called New Guard Group. They've actually been acquired by Farfetch, but basically they went to Virgil's like, you're a creative genius, but you don't know how to manufacture or you should manufacture with us. We have the best Italian inputs right and the the amazing thing about new guard group so their founders also worth like half a bill um italian dudes uh we should talk about i mean i'm not gonna talk about them but i'll tell you what's super interesting virgil and the new guard group their entire operations run through whatsapp it's insane virgil through says WhatsApp, that you said? whatsapp they do no way. everything through whatsapp virgil says he has a thousand chats open on whatsapp this is how we all that's how we want works works 20 that's hours hilarious. a day on whatsapp it's insane dude so like people will send him photos he'll pull the image he'll like the shit i do with memes or like jack does with memes like he'll, he'll screenshot it like circle things be like i want this that, and just send it off and the way they explain it is like they can't use emails right he's like they're like we are creatives and like email blows up the flow like you're in your flow right you like you hit a guy up and be like yo i'm, I'm flowing right now like we need to chat about this iron out this detail and like we need to get done so this guy literally he uses an iphone for his entire that's world hilarious. i didn't know that that's mental insane, that's another dude. uh there's another dorsey thread there he works on his phone too right yeah George dorsey only works through uh apple notes one app at uh, a time yeah it's hysterical it's, yeah, future work man it'd be weird to have a laptop or a computer at a certain point Dude, it's so true, especially if the cloud gets, like my biggest beef with mobile editing of Google Docs is it's very slow. Like if you have to hit comments, it actually slows down. But man, like Jack, you said, once you iron all that stuff out, then you go to the edge of the internet and like your edge computing and it's just super fast. It's gonna be all virtual blows, right? 
And to be fair, WhatsApp works pretty good even on desktop if you need that as well. Yeah, that's true. It's pretty simple. It, for for just sending images and stuff, it's perfect. So uh, Virgil, so clothing is kind of the main shtick um, and, and, and footwear. But the whole point is that the last decade, Off-White, Virgil's second brand, is like the number one luxury brand in the world in terms of its reputation. And uh, we talked a bit about his architecting and uh, engineering. So we can talk now. And uh, this is where I want to open hit up Jack because uh, Virgil has laid out his design principles. He has a design language. And I want to talk through what he has described as his design language. Yo, yo so, Trunk, can we just do one thing just before you, yeah. we go into that? Just, I'm conscious that some people listen to this are like, most of the people who follow us are like tech startup people. Yeah. And I think they've heard of, a lot of people heard of Virgil and stuff. But like a lot of people in our kind of world look at fashion as just like, oh, forget those guys, they're idiots, whatever. Or like, I think right. there's a lot of like negative sentiment sometimes when I speak to them. Maybe on the artistic side, it, it can be cool. And I think the streetwear part especially has been really cool for the last 10 years. But it would be cool for us just to quickly kind of lay the foundation of like how influential streetwear right. has been in this because luxury fashion traditionally was... You know, there's two big groups, Kering and LVMH. They own a bunch of those smaller brands, like uh, the brands we've all heard of, like Gucci, uh, Louis Vuitton, etc. Um, but I, I just wanted to, to call that out because that, that there's just the fact that he broke into that world is already a big deal being a black guy. But just coming from streetwear, which traditionally was just kind of like ridiculed or laughed at like 15, 20 years ago. And then it became the dominant part of culture. We've talked about that before with the overlap with hip hop and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so that, that that was another thing I just wanted to call out because I think a lot of people don't understand that like all the things we all wear comes from the, like this annoying group of people that we might say like they're making a, a $2,000 t-shirt which is uh, obviously often annoying but like it, it kind of filters through so by the time it gets to Zara uh, and I'm buying it for $50 the design has been done by someone way before and it's just being copied so like Wait, these guys I think, yeah, go on. I think you hit on a, an extremely important point here and I'm so glad you brought it up uh your initial statement is, okay, if we have a lot of tech and entrepreneur listeners, why should they care about this? Jack is about to go nuts on why it matters, right? And it has to do with this. is like crypto and NFTs are bringing scarcity to the digital world. Mm. And no one understands scarcity better than the luxury industry. So mm. if That's you want point. to learn, I mean, think of like, what more do you have to say? Bernardo knows is the richest person in the world. He's richer than Jeff Bezos. Just think about that, right? And the, these guys understand scarcity, how to build these brands. And, and, and these things are coming to the digital space, right? So, I mean, Jack, I would love to hear your thoughts on that. Because, I, I mean, you, you did it back and forth with somebody that commented on an LVMH thing I did. But I think you would have a very good insight on this. Yeah, I think that it's, it's pretty obvious that they're going to do, they're going to get into NFT world. But to go back to what Bilal talked about, like why technologists or like, you know, people outside of fashion should care about this is like, I think the, the larger trend is like crypto is essentially allowing for people to capture more value, like more value from the culture that they create. Right. And, and we've talked about this a bunch of times on this podcast. It's like culture is this really wickedly under monetized 
asset class, essentially. And for the creators, especially, right? Exactly. For exactly. the people that are often the creative people with the inspiration making it. Yeah. And, and like, they're like the, the, their ideas propagate so incredibly well because they like understand culture. And that's something that a lot of technical people don't get. Or, uh, and I think you've heard this in like the, in the Kanye rants over the years as well. It's like, there's a really good, uh, interview at can with, I think it's, uh, Ben Horowitz, Kanye and, um, Steve Stout. And they're oh, on a, damn. They're I've never seen panel. this. That sounds incredible. It's, it's class. And it, they, they talk about like the, you know, technology as the rails for increasing like people's taste levels and like putting like better quality oh work God. out into the world, which is just a badass idea. And I think like now what we're seeing is like the, like the ability to like make markets from culture is just getting way way more like liquid and fast and uh like just unleashing this like creative renaissance and you're going to see like i think you'll see brands like lvmh and obviously obviously uh they can leverage the brand that they've already built to like to create new opportunity for themselves in that world but it also i think unleashes this like man that you can see a future where like the there are fashion designers that design clothes exclusively for digital environments. Yes, the metaverse. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. And, and and the internet has has made all of this possible, right? Like like I don't know when that photo was, Virgil, Kanye, uh at, at 2009. Yeah, so that's like internet area era for a lot of people, right? Yeah. To go back to last <laughs> yeah, yeah. week's conversation. Yeah. Well, as reference, uh, Bilal, can you explain what internet is? Oh yeah, if people didn't hear it last week, there was a executive a CMO at a public company that in, I think, 2013 said to me and my colleague, we don't believe in the internet, we call it the internet. So this going forward, in, we'll reference that. This is yeah. in regards to digital advertising. They did not want to yeah. say. Yeah, we were talking about YouTube and Google stuff and he was like, oh, we don't, we just run super bowl commercials and, and stuff like that so yeah but it was at the era where people were still really not sure that they it now it's undeniable but back then they were still having to convince people internally like we're gonna hire a social media manager like that was the kind of stuff but yeah go, go for it jack these guys understood the internet and culture again at like an instinctual level where engineers and corporate entities perhaps don't like maybe they're good at manufacturing and like you know that partnership that virgil had to make with manufacturing is obviously massively a massive component of the business's success but the mo like the most important thing is that he makes stuff that people like and want to yeah. share and that like the internet again we've talked about matthew principle power laws whatever else if you're the best the result that you like generate is 10x 100x yeah. what anyone else would if you had to rely on you know word of mouth or someone seeing someone in the street and being like oh what um what thing is that and because you what brand is that and because he's built arguably like built relationships with the biggest like figureheads of culture on the planet like who doesn't wear off-white like 
Yeah. Sports, like athletes, musicians, film stars, like everybody that sets, like everybody that sets trends, or, Yes. He's basically maker. like an API. Let's use a technology <laughs> term, right? You've got like Love an it. API directly in to like the Virgil design language. And it's not a surprise that LVMH is just this behemoth vehicle at this point. It's like Facebook, Google, uh, Facebook and Google as like basically the, the, the infrastructure to, for culture to operate on, right? Twitter is the same thing. That's why I think Twitter is you know, not investment advice, but Twitter is undervalued as well because all of this stuff is like, this is where these trends take hold and then they like manifest themselves as results down the road. Yeah, I Nike think, uh, is in this vein. Like, if you're talking about the whatever Nike is like a 200, 250 billion dollar company, it's like there's Nike and oh, it's good that we brought up Nike because it's something that uh, Virgil has worked with uh, in terms of taste making. And let me quickly just rule through some of Virgil's design languages. I'd love to get Jack's thoughts. Yeah, on let's these. do it. Because Jack again owns Visualize Value, so uh, he's going to have a lot of thoughts on these. So the first thing. Uh, that Virgil says about his design language is he, he loves the idea of ready-made. He cautions in his lecture, he cautions people from always wanting to make something brand new and from scratch. Right. And uh, the instinct obviously is like, Oh, I want to be original and be first. And he's like, that's actually a kind of a faulty way to think about it because so many good aesthetics have already been discovered. It's like, you kind of do yourself a disfavor if you're not building off other people. And I mean, he has been criticized. Some people think he's a ripoff artist in some of his pieces, but uh, his inspiration for Ready Made was an artist uh, named Marcel Duchamp. And Marcel literally took a freaking urinal and uh, and turned it into an art piece called Duchamp's Fountain. Listen, I think this is so dumb, but That's uh, hilarious. it's Ready Made is what he's saying. <laughs> there's a piece of, there's something that already exists in the world that already has baked in assumptions and beliefs about it. Right. And so he took a urinal. It's like, when we think about urinal, we're pissing on stuff. It's just like, it's meant for human excrement. And he's like, yeah, art's meant to be pissed on. That's what Duchamp said. And I'm like, Oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, so, you know, it's very ironic, this piece, but uh, yeah. So just off white's logo is these kind of arrows and Virgil talks about it. It's like, everyone knows these arrows, right? He's like, he wanted to make something that was recognizable, but give it a tweak. And I think Jack, this is what I'll add Virgil's second design point, which is this. He calls it a 3% rule. He only wants to change something by 3%. So take something that already has established feeling and emotions and that is, is culturally known, but then add, you know, remix it a bit. This is his DJ background, remix culture. Change it 3%, make it your own. And what this fulfills is two things. It's like the human need for familiarity, where you get comfort. And then the, also the human need, you're also searching, you're curious, right? You're always looking for novelty. That just goes back from evolutionary uh, phases where you're trying to find shit, just, just trying to survive, right? So you're looking for stuff. So he's like, and his most famous thing is his collaboration with Nike. It's called the 10. And he went to Nike and he's like, let me remake my 10 favorite Nike shoes ever. So for the listeners here, there's uh, one of his most famous remakes is it's the Air Jordan 1. So it's a red Air Jordan uh, and Virgil remakes it literally, like I said, the 3% rule, he just tweaks it by 3%. He adds like 
you know, his humor into it. He adds a stitch here. He kind of adds like a, a, a plastic cord there. And everybody instantly recognizes a shoe, but then also knows it's a Virgil. And these things cost thousands of dollars, right? So Jack, design guy, what do you think about ready-made? And what do you think about the 3% rule? I think we've talked about it in a couple of different contexts before, but it's the like barnacle strategy that we, uh, I can't remember what context we brought it up before, but there's this, this a whale, a cultural whale, right? J Jordan shoes have a cult following. And if you execute against that, like in a way that doesn't seem disingenuous, like you're adding something to that culture, you get embraced by the people that already support it, as opposed to having to build that network up from scratch. That's what he's, he's doing is like tapping into existing networks with new creative ideas and tweaks. And like, I think challenging people's like definition of what creativity is in all of this as well, right? People would rather have that shoe on the right than Virgil's, you know, made up, uh, shoe right. line. Right. hundred percent. There's like steeped in legacy and story. And <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, it's like a really interesting struggle that creative people tend to have. It's like, they want to reinvent something, but if you really want to get philosophical about it, like you can only create with your inputs anyway. So yeah. what's the thing genius is, uh, or creative genius is just knowing how to hide your sources. I think there's something like contrarian about this where he's just like, he's doing what everyone else is doing, but just in a way more like almost brutalist way. Right. He's just saying like, yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to hide the fact that I'm like drawing on top of a shoe that you've already seen. And everyone else is following the same creative process, but they end up with something that's like, it's still things that you've seen places you've been objects you've looked at combined into something it's just a different percentage right and that's that doesn't mean it's new necessarily it's new to somebody but i think it's i think it's genius man and what it also did commercially is just created an endless stream of opportunities oh, yeah. endless yeah. so like ramoa and you you listed a few of them in that thread well, we like, should touch on those I, I i i what you said though i could i never heard that actually where like the creative genius is hiding your sources. Cause I can tell you as a writer, the, the instinct or the, the yearning to like, I mean, you find a great idea. You're like, Oh, I have to prove that this is my own. And like, right, right, right. I don't, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I want to bury where I find a lot of things, but I just, sure. at the end of the day, I'm just like, I can't, man. I just gotta be honest about, it. no, that's what you see. A lot of people write th threads and they won't source anything. I source everything, right? It's like, just an example. It's like a lot of people write Twitter threads and zero sources yeah. and, 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 uh, or even just writing in general, right? I'm like, Oh, the, the compulsion to like hide where just to make it seem like you're smarter is so powerful, so strong, but man, hiding your sources, bro. Trust me, I uh, I definitely think about it, but I, I never end up doing it. Yeah, well, what's I that, mean, that like, famous book? Isn't it like Great Art is Steel or something? It's yeah, quite a yeah, famous book. Yeah. It's like one of those things, like I think all, most great art is like, I could have done that or I could have thought of that. It's oh, like, yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but you didn't, right? That's, yeah. that's the amazing thing. It's because totally. the actual, like 50% of the art is having the bollocks to do that. 100%. No, 100%. I think there's a... I think that also the just for like the entrepreneur side, I think there's that part of it too is like a lot of the successful people you see, it's just not, it's willing to do it. Right. No, literally it's like, it's willing 
to take the arrows and the bullshit. And uh, I think this this applies to the art also. Yeah, and Jack, I, 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 I think sorry, Jack. Can I say last week we talked about it with your NFTs, right? Or like you've been putting out visualized value stuff for free for years, thousands of reps or whatever you want to call it. And like for someone who's um, never heard of you and they listen to his podcast and they listen to episode zero, and they're like, Jack sold that thing with two boxes for 150 grand at the time. Like, what well, I could have done that, right? And exactly right. that feeling. But the the people who were happy to pay that amount for your NFT back then, it wasn't just because of the two bucks. It was because of who it was. It was because of the way you'd been doing that for some time. You built a reputation. And also, you were willing to put it out. And if it went, if it was bid on like at nothing, you would have taken a hit. And you do right. all the time as well. So I think uh, people don't always see that side. Well, I, th- I also like, we're we're entering like a weird phase in time where like this is maybe some symptom of like figuring out a bunch of basic stuff, right? Like the infrastructure layer of society is coming together in a lot. I mean, in, in first world countries, especially it's like creativity has, is having this resurgence because like let's face it 95 percent of work is is an absolute like larp pointless role-playing thing right and getting more and more true by the day so i think what's interesting about nfts and all of these networks that like financialize culture is like just all of this stuff is like all of this upside is being captured by the platforms for the most part, unless you're Virgil and you can ne- negotiate a deal with LVMH. For most people, you can't do that. But if you can make 100 garments a week or 100 virtual garments a week and uh, like find people on like an infinite network that are interested in it, oh my God. it creates a whole lot of different it's opportunities. It's game over. Let me just pull up more. I just want to touch on things that Jack mentioned. This will be my last of his design language. So as a summary, uh, Virgil Abloh, uh, engineering, uh, architecture background, worked with Kanye for a decade, launched one of the most famous streetwear brands in the world, Off-White. Uh, LVMH bought 60% of the company a couple of weeks ago. He's already the artistic director at LVMH. And uh, he will be now touching every part of the most important luxury business in the world. And he will actually be doing digital stuff to Jack's point making a digital clothing wear brand in the metaverse. And uh, the last thing I'd I'd point out about him, and I highly suggest we should add in the notes, all of his lectures are available online. Incredible to listen to. Um, There's actually one at Harvard, and we talked about Ivy League clowns earlier. (laughs) At the end of the lecture, God, I was so annoyed. One guy goes, hey, would you sign my shoe? He says, yes. And then all the freaking kids at the design school threw their shoes at him. It's like 20 people throwing shoes at him at the front of the stage. It was ridiculous, man. Anyways, so last thing. Uh, his last point that I'll bring up is he says the power of humor. And actually, Jack's talked about this a lot in the past. We've all talked about it. Is uh, Memes are the language of the internet, right? And uh, he, he actually li- literally brings that up. He's like, memes are the go-to language of the internet. Ironic humor is a go-to language of the internet, which is why... As you'll notice on his uh, Nike shoe here, for those that don't see it, he has in quotation marks the word air, where there's usually an air pocket in the Nike. And that's kind of become his trademark thing, the quotation marks. And uh, it's kind of funny. Jack's wearing a shirt for VV that says merch. 
That's kind of the same idea. It's the irony of literally saying what it is that you're wearing that's on it. And uh, so his two things that you, uh, you touched on, uh, Ramoa and Ikea. So he collaborated with both of them. And just going back to his 3% rule and his building on stuff that's already made, he took Ikea's existing rug and put his 3% spin on it, which was the ironic humor of keep off in quotations. That's just the dumbest rug ever, but I'd probably buy it for $1,000. <laughs> this one I loved. His Ramoa collaboration. He took a Ramoa luggage bag and made it transparent so you can see what's inside. That's man. it. It's That's just it un the unreal, man. Like, like the, like the restraint as a as a massive exponent for off white is unreal. Like you could spot an off white garment from, yeah, miles away because he's like the ability to stick to that level of restraint for that long is so such a powerful thing. Well, any thoughts on that? Uh, with the with your similar backgrounds? Oh yeah, real similar. Now, uh, the only thing I'd say is. I think a lot of this world, anything creative is often misunderstood by people who just, like we said before, say, I could have done that. Uh, but like Jack said, you didn't. And there's a reason those people were able to rise to where they are. They've done this many times in many different contexts. And and it sounds kind of elitist because I wouldn't even put myself in this category of fully understanding a lot of that world because I... But at least I kind of know I don't. You know what I mean? Like I, I like a little bit of the fashion stuff, especially back in the day, and the design side I can appreciate. But I don't really know what I'm talking about. Like I, I, if you ask me to explain, like the beauty of the architecture or uh, the art, I would be like, oh, it looks kind of cool. But I don't have the history. And there's a there's something you can't always train without really spending time that is not that tangible here, which is taste. And and the re and I kind of hate that word because I think. Um, the reason I hate that word is because like it, it often becomes quite elitist. Uh, wait, once <laughs> Trunk jumped off, <laughs> so he had to leave. But um, but yeah, so it's just it's kind of a it can become quite elitist and annoying. But there's a reason like these guys are creating stuff um, that the whole world end up using. So even if you don't wear off white, trust me, you've probably bought something or have seen it at least where it's trickled down into all of the stuff that we all buy from H&M, Topshop, and uh, Zara or whatever. So I think uh, it's worth calling out, man. Hey, Anything else from you, Trunk? Uh, from uh, you, Jack? There was a, there's a Hulu, uh, like a four-part documentary called Misguided. And there's, um, I think that's the name of the brand in the UK. It's like a fast fashion brand. So if you're interested in like how that stuff gets like knocked off, basically, you could watch that. It's four episodes long. They'll like see some celebrity wearing some garment on Instagram. It's like quick, knock out a design and get it to the sample house. And we'll like, man, what a ridiculous, uh, ridiculous business model, like the efficiency they have to operate at to like get that done. It will also really shock you, like the number of units they actually sell. It's not a lot. Like they're putting out 20,000 SKUs a year or something crazy. Yeah, and it's like the opposite of Zara where they are like basically, I, I can't remember the exact time frames, but I remember doing this at school, at university. Like they were the case study of basically looking at LVMH, Kering, St. Laurent, like all these uh, high fashion brands 
and taking what's on the catwalk and within like six weeks they would be able to get that designed manufactured distributed around the world sold to millions of people and uh and before that it used to take like six months so I, or something like that there was a massive change so yes yeah, it's, it's a really interesting world man so look we didn't get to talk about uh square and a firm today anything else jack actually before we wrap up no i think i think that was good yeah good discussion um, we didn't get to talk about Square and Affirm, but maybe we'll touch on that next week. And we're also going to talk about Bernard Arnaud, the LVMH guy, uh, who's a boss. He's got a crazy, crazy story as well. Um, yeah, but great chat, man. And if you made it all the way here, let us know in the comments below on YouTube. We'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, make sure you join the Telegram chat. That's where a lot of the... We're going to be testing a lot more stuff out there, uh, potentially doing some live stuff. So if you want to join us, uh, to hang out for a little bit and ask questions or just just listen in uh, we'll probably be doing that at some point soon as well and yeah it would be really helpful if you uh, go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you're using and make sure you subscribe because there's a huge chunk of people that listen that don't subscribe and that makes a huge difference to, uh, to the pod so thanks again for being here as always it's not investment advice and we'll see you next week not fashion advice either. Not fashion advice. <laughs>